let, let's just assume, right, yeah. that, that you're like a space alien. Yeah. And you just show up on this planet. And you're like, hey, let's do some alien anthropology on business. How are businesses set up in, in uh, Earth in the year 2021? Like, okay, so there's a team yeah. that's responsible for sort of positioning the company. That's marketing. They have their own leadership. And then there's another company that's responsible for extracting money from the customer. That's sales. They have their own boss as well. Then there's another uh, part of the organization that's customer success. And they're responsible for making sure that, that nobody leaves. That's another leadership uh, group as well. Yeah. You'd be like, this is the stupidest thing ever. I'm Sanger Vadre. And I'm Brian Brown, co-authors of Move, the four-question go-to-market framework. Helping you confidently take your organization's next move. Imagine this. You meet a guy whose official job title is President of Snake Handling. You don't assume that this job had something to do with handling snakes, right? So if we call this process go-to-market, then it must be about marketing. It's right there in the name. Nope, go-to-market certainly involves your marketing team, but it's not a marketing process. Account-based marketing is about your marketing and sales team working together to pick relevant accounts that they want to go after. But now, the definition of the go-to-market process brings marketing, sales, and now they have a new roommate. Guess what? They are customer success. You have to bring marketing, sales, and customer success to the table now because go-to-market focuses on the entire revenue stream, which includes customer success, specialties like expansion, upsell, cross-sell, what I like to call upserving your existing customers. We are talking to two, not just one, but two go-to-market masters who know the importance of this new roommate. The first one is Kelly Ford, the general partner at Edison Partners, who has had over 200 successful exits. Kelly knows that this cannot be done without putting the customer at the center of everything. What do you think of customer success? Where does customer success fit into the go-to-market strategy? Yeah, it's it's the new roommate, right? Yeah, it's the new uh, yeah. roommate. <laughs> I think it's a similar dynamic. So we're, you know, we're pretty focused on growth stage companies. So let's say at the time we invest, it's 10 to 30 million in revenue. And success at that stage, this better be a truly integrated, aligned go-to-market function with success being part of that. What varies though is, is it health and retention, which better be the objective sub 10 million yeah. and still should be, but you have better metrics and patterns and, and levers for, for driving not only retention, but maybe net retention. Right. And success isn't, it's rare that a CSM is a salesperson, but if they have access to the right data and the right go-to-market motion that is focused on the customer journey sits with success in conjunction with marketing, obviously, delivering on the value that sales sold, and there's the ability to expand as well. And by the way, success is how you learn about your customers. Yes. Marketing and sales should be really caring about what success knows and is seeing and the insights and the dynamics going on with retention and with expansion. Because guess what? If you're not learning from your customers who your best customers are, then what are you doing? Yeah. You're, you're, wasting, you're wasting time and money. So I think success 
and it is time has gone on, there's been better technology and ways to, uh, and as even modern technology, the SaaS software is an enabler internally, as much as an enabler yeah. for customers, it's an enabler internally to really understand usage and health and patterns that can drive success, but also, you know, really key insights that help optimize your marketing and sales efforts too. So success has always been there, but it's been the 15 roommate. years ago, it was, or more, or less in some cases, especially in tech in this stage, it, people didn't know the difference. When someone said it was success or account management, well, hold on, what does your success team do or service team? What does your account management do? I think now success is much more well-defined. And the question really is, what outcomes are you really trying to drive for the business and for your customer? And how far do you take, how do, far does success go in terms of capturing more value from those customers over time and feeding it back into, you know, the insights and intelligence back into how you ultimately go to market at the beginning of the journey. So the missing leg of a three stool for the most part in a go-to-market seems to be the customer success. They are the one not getting a lot of love when customers churn. They are the one who are like, hey, why can't you just get these customers to win? And why can't you expand to other products? Like customer success is almost like the, the almost you know, a step shot in a way of all After the craziness yeah. that's going on. And marketing in many ways, sales is at the forefront. And then now we're seeing marketing is coming together. So why is it that customer success remains so much on the back end of it and not actually considered as a key part of your go-to-market strategy? I think there's a, a few reasons. I think there's a legacy of customer service in a way. Yeah. Um, and in Double some, click on that. What, what does that mean? What is customer service? What's that? Reactive. Like? Yeah. Right. Also in tech companies support because early days, whether it's an R&D or a separate support group, most of those reasons post sale to connect with a customer once they're live yeah. is I'm having this issue or help me do this. And and it might be an education issue. They want on, onboarded properly. Yeah. Your user left and now there's a new one or God forbid your champion, your sponsor leaves and has to get reacquainted, right? So very reactive and might run the gamut depending on the business and the nature of the, of the solution on how best to service, yeah. right? I think it was tactical, not strategic. And in a land of recurring revenue models, you know, I think the retention piece is becoming, it has become since the onset of SaaS, a more elevated metric. But I've actually seen now, so it was kind of, it was like, oh, okay, handoff to customer service reactively right. or handoff to account management. Yeah. Which might've also been reactively. Right. And if you don't have that much more to like an account manager isn't responsible for keeping the customer. It's usually to sell them more stuff. Right. And then there's a service element. Yeah. More right? services. More services. Yeah. And, and sometimes success can get pulled into that and they become kind of a glorified project manager for right. service delivery because you need these integrations, this customization, and maybe you're getting more revenue from those services, but it's a means to an end and that's not high value revenue. That's not your recurring revenue. That's your one-time revenue. So I think as company, less mature businesses get caught up in messy org design from early on because 
of a reaction to what customers are, are needing. Yeah. And you got to get out in front of it to say, well, first of all, why does my product need so much services? Like, let's button that up, right? Yeah. And as products mature and platforms mature, less services will mm. be needed. The services that are provided are truly value-add. I think customer success, I think we touched on this a little bit, but the notion of between SaaS software architected appropriately, you should be able to have a really good understanding of usage and signals of health. And the new CSM, customer success manager, the new, you know, the modern one knows this, lives in the data understands the customer not just through reactive or proactive interactions, but a lot of the proactive interactions are driven by data and driven by usage patterns. And they could be positive ones. They could be ones that are flagging unhealth. And then it's a matter of if this, then that for the CSM, what to do about it. So I think actionable data is more readily available, not only from a well-architected SaaS platform or software platform, but also there are tools available. To look at this data. To look at this data and and, and really be ahead and have a true understanding of how your customers are using your product, any risk, attrition risk, you know, things like that. So tech and tools have improved, which empowers a new profile of CSM, which makes them more strategic to the organization. And that undoes the uh, contract sign, throw it over the fence. Yeah. I think also the value that is sold, it also relies upon truly understanding value that is sold so that the value can be delivered. Say that again. That was really good. Like, I think that's a missing piece in many organizations. It's almost like the chasm in between is like, oh, I what? Did we sell that? So- sold. Yeah. Here you go. Yeah. Right? Versus... A deep understanding of the value that was sold and signing up and the accountability to ensure the value is actually delivered. So that dynamic is enabled yeah. by obviously sales and success interlock, but data and insights around customer behavior. And then it's not only how can you affect, how can you keep your customer, capture more value from that customer because of what this data is telling you and the higher value conversation it enables you to have with a customer but what are we learning from that and how does that go right back to the beginning of the journey to influence are we selling to to the the right right customers or are there new is there green feel that you know in, in space that we're not pursuing we should be more proactive in running experiments or expanding our ICP so it takes a little bit off and you can get more programmatic around the things that the CSMs were trying to figure out what should we do yeah. how do we engage and now they can bottle it and actually apply marketing resources against it to scale it up see it almost makes me wonder Kelly that customer success becomes the front end after some point to what's the next product, what's the next market, what's the next revenue stream release for And in many cases, that doesn't happen early enough. Like, yep. and, and you're giving an example of NotPass. I mean, that's that's fantastic that they had, that actually enabled them to reinvent themselves and now they're trying to get ahead of it. So when we think about the evolution of go-to-market, 
one of the things we discovered in the research of this was for early stage, a lot of times it's founder-led, sales-led. That's typically what happens in, in most B2B companies. And then over a period of time, you have the sales and marketing. But Jeffrey Moore, who we are also interviewing for this, he talked about the fact that, look, customer success is really important. But he said something that literally made Brian and I to change something in the book. We had sales, marketing, and customer success as the go-to-market team in the end for the platform market fit. And he said, that's not the right order. And he cared a lot about the order. He's like, I'm coming in advising a ton of companies right now. You need to put customer success ahead now of sales and marketing because they are going to create the next revenue stream for your organization. They are going to tell you what the next product needs to be. And the more organization does that early enough, they're going to see much more success. 100%. And I, I agree. And I think also it's a matter of what stage of business are you at? Yes. Because with some level of scale, all of these pieces just need to be working together. And success should be mature enough to be able to play that function to help the business evolve, innovate, diversify, scale further, accelerate growth. But when it's an earlier stage, you never have enough pipeline, you don't have enough deals, your you know, success is is like hold on until we like yeah. can really but but I think architecting it, I think what's really important about, you know, a lot of these principles, what Jeffrey said, is that you have to deal with what's is an earlier stage company. You have to work with what you've got, what's in front of you, and there's so many hours in the day. But if you can design and roadmap, just as you roadmap your product, if you can roadmap your operation to say, I know it is eventually going to need to look like this, what are the triggers What are the signals that tell me now's the time to invest a little more there to make sure we can put customer success at the beginning? Yeah. Right? And I think companies are just so, you know, the next deal, the The acquisition, you know, it's just where it can be. And you're flying the plane while you're building it on so many areas of the business. (laughs) But every functional leader really should have a roadmap and be thoughtful about where it needs to go and the drivers and the triggers, tripwires to get there. Yeah. And I remember it's often when we're making new investments, looking at companies in diligence and we look at the CS function, mostly SaaS companies, not all, but we always try to form a point of view on how much ARR or what's the book of business for the CSM, right? Right. And they're usually pretty thin. Yes. And they should have more revenue coverage. Yeah, than like one CSM taking care of 550 customers, so 100 like customers. Like a half a million yeah. in ARR <laughs> yes. per CSM. Well, guess what? Let's 3 or 4X that. You're right. But is that possible? And really dig in to figure out and over what period of time to climb that up. You have to roadmap to climb that up. Just as you have to roadmap to roll off of delivering so much services and put more capability in your product so you don't have to deliver those services. There are things that get prioritized, some things more than others, operationally when you roadmap where you want to go for scale. I think it's challenging for CS to do that, but they should and and they need to, and there's tech and data available to to help them. There's one thing you need to know about Jay Bear is that he loves customers. 
His entire career as a keynote speaker and author has been built around his obsession with the customer experience and how businesses can win the minds and hearts of their customers with every small interaction. Let's just assume, right, yeah. that, that you're like a space alien. Yeah. And you just show up on this planet and you're like, hey, let's do some alien anthropology on business. How are businesses set up in, in uh, Earth in the year 2021? Like, okay, so there's a team yeah. that's responsible for sort of positioning the company. That's marketing. They have their own leadership. And then there's another company that's responsible for extracting money from the customer. That's yeah. sales. They have their own boss as well. Then there's another uh, part of the organization that's customer success, and they're responsible for making sure that, that nobody leaves. That's another leadership uh, group as well. Yeah. You'd be like, this is the stupidest thing ever. Like this. Like, <laughs> Like empirically, yeah. If you just started over blank sheet of paper in business, of yeah. course you'd have one one organization, yeah. Because it's all revenue, yeah. Right? It's all revenue, whether it's first time revenue or recurring revenue or acquisition or churn reduction. At the end of the day, it all goes to the same place. And so to have different leaders with different sometimes personal agendas yeah. uh, and, and certainly different compensation structures and, and different things that are valued in the organization per group, it's, it's silly. Well, who, who does it well? Like you talk to so many companies, you consult with so yeah. many companies, like B2B, B2C doesn't really matter. Like who does it well? I'll give you a story, um, and this is not really a company example. It's a very small business example, but I think it's illustrative of the opportunity when you leapfrog and put customer success before sales and marketing. Yeah. So my friend Glenn Gorab is an oral surgeon mm. in Clifton, New Jersey. And so he operates in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, tri-state area. There are, last time I checked, 435 oral surgeons in his trade area. Mm. They all do the same thing. And they do it for about the same price. It's not like somebody has like, oh, I've got a better drill, man. Like it's, <laughs> it's oral surgery. Right? It's like, yeah. I got pliers, you got pliers. Right? Yeah. There's not only so many ways to do it. Yeah. And so how do you choose a surgeon in that, in that world? It's almost always location. Hmm. Closer to your business, closer to your home. Because it's the same. Well, he is the most successful in the area, the highest average patient reviews, and also the only one out of all of them who's been in practice for at least five years who's never been sued, never, ever had a legal proceeding hmm. against him. And it's a very litigious profession. Right. Uh, and he told me, I talked to him for a book I wrote, he said, look, I'm not the best surgeon. Like I'm good for sure, better than most, but I'm not the best. Mm. But I have the best relationship with my patients. I'm like, well, how, why, how? You don't have anything special. Here's what he does. So every Friday, his office staff gives him a list of names and phone numbers. And on Saturday, he calls those people from his cell phone. Wow. Hi, this is Glenn. I'm your oral surgeon. I understand, Sangram, that you're coming to the office for the very first time next week. Before you get here, are there any questions that I might answer? As a surgeon, he's calling you directly. Before you've ever come to the office. Pre-revenue. Yeah. Pre-revenue. Yeah. So the question answering, which is a classic customer success role, comes before the revenue. So Glenn tells me that 75% of his patients mention those calls yeah. when they're in the chair, hand in mouth, like, thanks for calling me. <laughs> and then... Every day, they get new patients who phone up and, because say, they tell other and say, hey, you know, I got to drive four miles out of my way, but I want you to be my dentist, surgeon, because you're the one who called my friend Shirley yeah. before she ever came in the office. Now, nobody does that. Like, literally yeah. nobody. But why? It's so smart. It has such a huge impact on the business. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't cost you anything other than a little bit of time. And yes, that's a small business 
um, healthcare example, but you can extrapolate that to any business. Take all the issues that your customers have post-revenue, mm. right, once they're a customer, and just address those before they buy from you. Wow, that story makes me think about like, well, I want to fly there to just yes. get that thing yes. done, right? Get, because... get, get the experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that. Now, let's talk about the small as the new big, right? That's something that we talk yeah. about in the book because yeah. the same exact reason. Yeah. But there is even bigger context around this, right? When you think about how B2B brands are perceiving it and doing it, yeah. you have built a couple of agencies from yeah. ground up, so you have lived this through and you advise. What comes to mind, what examples come to mind when you say, you know what, here's where small is really powerfully better than I think big. one of the nice things about small is if you do it right, you can position the organization as what it really is, which is a collection of people. And we trust people way more than we trust organizations, yep. any organization. So the more that you can kind of shirk off the cloak of the organization and make it more about the people inside the organization, I think the happier your customers will be. Acceptance of churn is one of the biggest problems in business, right? Companies say, well, yeah, we can't keep all our customers. We'll just go make new ones, will you? And how long can you play that game? Right before all of a sudden your competitor has a generally better mousetrap, and, yeah. and then what do you do? So I find invariably that, that companies are, are way too accepting of customer defection and, and customer unhappiness. You know, people look at Net Promoter Score, for example, which has mm -hmm. its own issues as a diagnostic, but, but people, you know, say, oh, you know, Net Promoter Score, you know, we're 70 or something. I'm like, well, that's still three out of 10 people. Yeah. Three out of 10, right, are not psyched. And they're like, yeah, we're doing great. I'm like, three out of 10 are not psyched. Are you doing great? Yeah. You know, it's just it, the way people think about customer success and retention, I think is fundamentally flawed. Well, let's, let's talk about one, one of the things that you mentioned throughout. I, I've listened to so many of your talks. Like we've gone on, on stages together and talked about things is the idea of like, well, when you have great word of mouth yeah. and when you have great acquisition, at some point you have an opportunity to turn that into a flywheel. Yeah. Sometimes you're organized, like, absolutely. So, so share some yeah. examples of that. Yeah. When the customer is doing the marketing for you at some level, right, it, what the flywheel effect, from my perspective, from a word of mouth standpoint, is it allows your sales and marketing resources, your go to market team, to devote more of those resources to other things other than um, sort of awareness building, right, or driving people through the funnel. Because the clients themselves, the previous iteration of customers, will do the awareness for you, right? So then you can focus on product improvements, on ops, on any number of things um, that, that actually make the business better. It's a very efficient way to deploy your resources, but most companies don't have that flywheel because they don't have a strong enough word of mouth, right? They don't have customers like, you know, if you say, hey, um, you know, how do you like your insurance agent? Fine, you should talk to him. But I'm not, I'm not going out of my way to phone you up and be like, Sangam, you won't believe yeah. what happened when I was at my insurance. You know, there's a huge difference between reactive word of mouth and proactive word of mouth, mm -hmm. right? Reactive word of mouth, tell me about your insurance person. And I'm like, yeah, I like him. As opposed to let me go out of my way to tell you yeah. about my insurance. That's a giant yeah. difference, right? So if you can bridge that, go from reactive to proactive, then it frees up all, all of your sales and marketing resources to do, to do other things and get that flywheel working. For example, one of the great word of mouth case studies in the history of business is Double Tree Hotels. Yeah. Right? Chocolate chip cookie. Everybody knows it, right? Yeah. Every person at a Double Tree, they just brought it back, gets a warm chocolate chip cookie when they check in. 
They've been doing this every day for 30 years. Never changed it. 30 years, which yeah. is crazy to me, right? 30 years. Before the pandemic, um, at their peak, they were doing 75,000 cookies a day. Worldwide. Wow. Worldwide. That's a lot of cookies, okay? Yeah. So because it's such a kind of quintessential word of mouth story, I wanted to prove like how effective is it at creating mm -hmm. the flywheel. So I did a whole uh, national survey and found that 34% of their customers have told somebody else a story about that cookie. 34% times 75,000 a day yeah. is like 25,500 people a day telling a story about a chocolate chip cookie. Okay, so to your flywheel question, companion question. When's the last time you saw an ad for Doubletree? Not really. Yeah. Like almost never. Yeah. Because they spend dramatically less than other hotels in that same category on advertising. Mm. Because the cookie is the ad and the guests are the sales and marketing department. That's a genius way that of doing insane. business, right? And they tapped into the key part where people are just standing in the line and nobody really cares about the linens and the, no. the bed or anything like that. Yeah, how you, different is it going to be? Yeah. Right? Like you're going to win on towels? No, you're not. <laughs> yeah. No, you're not. Right? But the cookie, yeah. uh, people actually remember it, right? And the, and the key thing about that, actually, I don't want to you know, go too deep on this, but the key part of that is that it's an experience. Mm. Importantly, it's not a pile of cookies under a glass dome. Yeah. They have an oven in each hotel. Warm cookie, hand it to you, right? The hand-to-hand -hand pass is the brand standard and key because now you're experiencing it. You can feel it, you can smell it, you can see it. Obviously, you can taste it eventually. Mm. It's not just like take a cookie if you want one yeah. because you've been to lots of nice hotels that have citrus, right? They've got like a bowl yeah. of apples yeah. or, or bananas by the elevator or whatever. Yeah. Nobody ever talks about that. It's yeah. a waste of good fruit. I don't even know if you actually want to touch that. Yeah, right. It. Nobody yeah. talks about that. It's yeah. the same idea, just with a little twist on it, yeah. right? So one of my favorite sayings in business, back to your flywheel question, is from Robert Stevens, who was the founder of Geek Squad and mm. a full-on genius. He's an unbelievable business leader. He said that advertising is a tax paid by the unremarkable. Advertising, advertising is, is a, a tax, tax paid by the unremarkable. Now, that's not entirely true. There's a time and a place for advertising, especially hyper-relevant B2B, ABM-driven advertising, right. right? Advertising that is relevant is advertising you want, yeah. not just advertising you tolerate. But broad-based spray and pray, let's build awareness advertising is typically a waste of money. And most of the brands that are really effective and successful don't spend that much on advertising. How is that possible? Hmm because their customers do it for them. Wow. Jay, you have seen so much of the work done in go-to-market. You yeah. have seen companies like big and small, they've gone in the go-to-market. Like, can you share an example of B2B organization that you feel like, okay, they have done, they, they, they know what they're talking about when it comes to go-to-market? I really like what Uberflip has done. Mm in their go-to-market, they, you know, they have a marketing department and a sales department and a customer success department, which they shouldn't, as we talked about earlier, but they do. But they've really always worked together as, as one, under sort of yeah. one leader. Uh, and they report up to the same founder and executive. And spiritually, kind of from a tone standpoint and kind of how they say things and graphic design and just sort of the, the, the culture, it's super unified, right? Yeah. So if you're a customer, a Uber flip, whether you haven't bought yet or you bought a week ago or you bought a year ago, like it feels like it's the same group, mm. right? And one of the things they do, which I think is really smart and so easy, but nobody does it, is they introduce customer success people mm. to customers pre-sale. In the sales, in pre-sales, yes. not even in the sales conversation. Right. Yeah. So it's like, okay, and here's the people you'll be working with 
eventually, right? Um, as opposed to what typically happens yeah. is, okay, thanks for your money, appreciate the contract, now let us introduce you to the customer yeah. uh, success team. And so they're sort of building some of those personal bonds mm. before, which I think is really, really smart. Yeah, I think that not many companies do that. I think it really comes down yeah. to cost a lot of times. They, as of companies would put it, is like, yeah. we don't want to do that, but it can change the retention not all those pieces to it. Yeah, I mean, if you can if you can drop your your churn um, and increase your LTV just a little bit, like yeah. it's not an expense; it's an investment. Right? Yeah, and and that's the as I've said a million times. There's an awful lot of people with a degree in sales and marketing. There's nobody with a degree in retention. And there you go, right? And so that's what happens. Yeah, that's what we wrote talked about the retention yeah. is the new acquisition yes. with that. Yes. People need to really think yes. about it.